Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Infertility Feelings Podcast. My name is Doug Brown, and I am here with my ever-loving sidekick <laughs> and founder of Uniquely Knitted, Jesse Brown. Thank you. Jesse, do people know that you live your life as a fraud in that your what? real name is Jessica? Do people know everyone that your name knows is Jessica? That. Everyone knows that. I don't, I don't know. DM me. If you're a- and you're not a boy, and your actual girl name on your birth certificate is Jesse, but spelled J E S S E. Yes, right? I do spell it the boy way. I don't know why. I was a massive tomboy when this when I converted from Jessica to Jesse. Here's a long running debate. I guess you could say that Jesse and I have had within our relationship. Maybe you could solve it if you're listening to this in your car or on your on a walk or something. Just ruminate with me. Is a nickname Who says ruminate? Ruminate? I don't know. Is a nickname when you shorten your name? I say no. So my full name is Douglas. My nickname is not Doug. Yeah, where are you at? Why aren't you putting yourself under the rug? You're Your Douglas. Your full that name to is Jessica. Your nickname is not Jesse, right? Yes, yes That's it not is. a nickname. Yes, you, it is. You, a nickname has to be something like if my if if people called me like Knuckles or something like that, that would be a nickname. L- let me let me clarify this and just win the argument what would you call jesse then and uh, what would you call doug i would just say another name a shortened name no no that's not a thing that doesn't there's no dictionary called a shortened name your name <laughs> is your name my name is jessica ray brown and my nickname no that's yes, not a nickname jesse what else would you call it if people called you like uh like they do they call like me what hair, hair bun or i don't know what's a nickname um knuckles frenny maybe my friends call me frenny frenny that's not a name <laughs> <laughs> i know that's what we call each other so the question uh, is to you podcast uh sphere the question is is what qualifies as a nickname i say it cannot just be a shortened version of your name like if your name is samantha and people call you sam that's not a nickname that's just that's a shortened version of your name no any name that is not your actual birth name is a nickname. There's no way we're going to settle this here. I on know. The, podcast. the internet must win and tell us. <laughs> and they will and they will make the right choice. And Thank they you. will. They will make the right choice. They will make won't the right they? Choice. Switching gears completely from what Doug and I talk about on a Friday night at 10 p.m. What is a nickname? <laughs> it's a hot Friday night. Hot Friday night. Not Nick- what you think. Nicknames. Nickname argument. That was our <laughs> Friday night. Is this conversation we had with Katie from Chasing Creation. And it was just really, really, really good. I feel like she highlights the childless community. I'm so excited to amplify her voice. I think it is a very important voice in the infertility world. And I'm just honored that she sat down and talked to us. And it was so, so, so good. I learned so much. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Katie from Chasing Creation. are so excited to have you here um and let's just get right into it let's just start with your story where how did you come to this place so i always just assumed i'd be a mom i didn't have like a backup plan and i um started trying to get pregnant my i feel like my years are getting all muddled but um i started trying to get pregnant in my early 30s and i had always had really bad periods but had never, it had never set off alarm bells with any doctors. I 
been dismissed hmm. for years with any, any time I presented with pains and symptoms. Hmm. So I thought that I'd get pregnant really quickly because I had been reading like all of these books about basal body temperature monitoring and knowing exactly when to have sex. And I was doing everything right. I was like tracking my cervical music, like before I even started trying to get pregnant, like I, I knew my cycle. Oh, yeah, wow. That's, that's not a typical. Yeah, that's fascinating. Like, yeah, starting position for people. <laughs> yeah. I'm like a very like research, like I love getting into a subject and just getting like fully obsessed with it. So this was my thing for a while. So before I even started trying to get pregnant, I was like the year before I had read all these books and I was like, I'm ready. Let's do this. We're going to get pregnant within three months guaranteed because I know exactly what days to have sex. Yes. <laughs> so we, we did the time sex thing for a long time. And after a year, we still weren't pregnant. And that's when I knew that that was the point where I was supposed to go see a doctor. So I started with my um, OBGYN and we talked about a few things. Uh, she found that I had polyps in my uterus. So she's like, I'm pretty sure this is what's causing it. Let's remove those. So I had just like a minor surgery to remove those. Um, she also felt like maybe my progesterone was off. So I started taking progesterone mm. and then I gave myself a few more months after the surgery to keep trying. Um, nothing had happened and my symptoms with my periods were getting progressively worse. So mm. my pain was a lot worse. It, I was bleeding a lot more throughout the month that just didn't seem normal. So mm. I decided at that point to move to a reproductive endocrinologist. And so she actually, the first time I saw her did a vaginal ultrasound and saw that I had um, endometriomas, which are cysts that are caused by endometriosis that you get in your, um, in your ovaries mm. and I had them on both sides. So she said, you know, based on this, I'm pretty sure of endometriosis, I recommend going straight to IVF and, um, wow. you know, that's my recommendation for you. So hmm. what's that feel yeah, like when you, how, I just, oh, first, I just want to say, what's it feel like? to have tried for a year, have been so attentive to details, and then not, not until you get to a reproductive endocrinologist or a fertility clinic, does someone ever even say, oh, it looks like you have endometriosis or symptoms of that, like, where you were like, what the heck, I've been having feelings of this for so long. What's that feel like? I mean, my, I think my first reaction was anger because yeah. Yeah. I had been complaining to doctors about my period since I was 13, like basically from the time they started, I through junior high and high school had was missing days of school. Um, you know, my mom was in high school, taught me how to use like a super extra tampon, how, how to use two at once so that yeah. I could go to school. Mm -hmm. Um, so all of these things got normalized. I had been to the emergency room, wow. um, and they wow. said, oh, you're just ovulating. That's just what ovulation is where I like, I couldn't even stand up. I thought I was dying. So I feel like I had had these. Wow. People just normalized it. Like, or they just, I feel like all oh, it feels almost like belittling almost just kind of and, like, and I feel like oh, what is sure. going to alarm doctors? You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to like yeah. bash and throw them all under the bus, but it's like, what is alarming? I'm not going to school. I have to wear two tampons. When I stand up, I feel like I'm going to like pass out. Like what? I just would love to know like the line of like, is it when you say like my insides fall out? Like, I, you know yeah. what I mean? Like what would, what does it take to be like yeah. alarms going off? I can tell you that the, by the time I was diagnosed, 
the few years before that, I was at a place where my pain was so bad daily that I couldn't do just normal things. Like I couldn't wear a seatbelt without keeping a pillow or a sweater in my car that oh, I would wow. put in between it because the lap belt hurt. Wow. I couldn't wear jeans because they hurt. So I was wearing maternity leggings every day. Wow. I was having to pack extra clothes in my car because I didn't know when I was going to bleed through my clothes. So I was having like extremely severe symptoms and just being told by doctors, like, we can't find anything. You can go on birth control. That's like literally all they would ever suggest. And right. I think it was really maddening because I know with endometriosis, it's hard because it's typically not something that can be seen on any kind of scan or imaging or anything that you can do, right? Like you have to have an exploratory surgery to find it. Right. So I get that. But then when I had someone say, well, you have endometriomas, we're like, which are like this other thing that you can get with endometriosis that is visible. And maybe if one doctor had like been like, let's do a vaginal ultrasound and let's see what's going on. It was just, yeah, I think my first reaction was anger and it kind of shifted my trajectory a little bit because all of a sudden it was like, oh, now I know it's been causing this pain for my whole life pretty much. And I, I realized after looking into it that doing surgery would not only help my health, which kind of became my first priority. I put fertility on the back burner a little bit, mm -hmm. but then also, um, I had specialists telling me that through surgery, it would also improve my chances of conceiving. So mm -hmm. I felt like it was kind of like a win-win to go with a uh, surgery. So yeah. I decided to do that before, um, doing my IVF cycle. And then you did an IVF cycle. Walk us through that. What was the next yep. step? So, um, so I had my excision surgery. I, uh, went straight into an IVF cycle and I didn't have very many embryos. I think I had eight embryos or mm. I mean, eggs collected that and 13 eggs collected. I had eight embryos and then we sent those for PGS testing. I think there were only three that, that made it to PGS testing and none of them were viable. Oh, so wow. I came out of that IVF cycle with just no possibilities of it working. Oh, oh how so did sorry, that feel? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, crappy, right? Like it, yeah. I think it's like, I, so again, because I'm a researcher, I had like, I had looked at clinic rates, right? Like I have pulled up the charts and seen in my area who has the best rates of success and what are my chances and what's the likelihood based on like my age and my diagnosis and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And even though I knew the numbers, it still really felt like IVF is like the thing that you do that gets you to the baby. Like totally, it just a hundred percent. In my mind, it was just like, yeah, of course this is going to work because this is what people do when the other things don't work. Right. And there's, so and I, you don't hear the option of like, it could not work or it, you could get nothing from it. Like we only had one yeah. egg at the end of ours. I never would have thought that we would have had one egg at the end. Yeah. And throughout the push. whole process, I never picked up that, you know, the, no one ever said, well, or maybe they didn't. I missed it. They said, oh, we're going to want to do three of these. Like I didn't, I never picked up on that. I, I, I thought it was like, we just do it and then it works. Right. You know? Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I don't think that was definitely not communicated to me as that. Like, if you really want to give this a go, you got to be in it for three cycles. It's going to give right. you the best chance. Right. Um, and, you know, even though I saw the numbers, I knew what the numbers were, that it was still like there was a good chance that it wasn't going to be successful. But for some reason in my mind, it was like, but it's going to work for me. Like, of course it will. Right. Right. Like, right. right. I'm, I'm going to be on the good side of the statistic. <laughs> right. Obviously. Right. Um, so after that, I was in this kind of like crossroads where my pain symptoms were back worse than they had ever been before. They were even oh. worse than before my first surgery. And I think 
I mean, I can only speculate, but I think part of that was because of all the meds that you put your body through. Um, I also have fibroids and like the polyps were back when I had that second surgery too. So I think my, my body just with all the different hormones that it was put through with IVF cycle, mm-hmm. I think it just exacerbated a lot of the underlying conditions that I already had. Right. So I consulted with a, a different area at this time I moved to a different city to talk about the option of doing a second IVF cycle. And then the other option that I was considering was to meet with another, a different um, endometriosis specialist who also did excision surgery to talk to him about my options. And so um, the idea of a hysterectomy came up. And so I was kind of at this point of like, do I want to do that? Or do I want to do a second IVF cycle? Jeez. Let's just sit in that for a second. That's not normally what you would expect to hear. Wow. How did they bring that up? And was it because your the symptoms you were having were so severe that it was like, well, medically you would be relieved of symptoms if you had a hysterectomy or do you want to try to stick it out for it? Like, how did that even come about that conversation? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was two, two separate conversations. So okay. the, the conversation with the RE was like, yeah, we could do, a, we could try doing another IVF cycle based on your, you know, based on everything I'm seeing, because I, I have brought my clinic records from the other clinic based on everything I'm saying, seeing, I don't, I don't see any reason to believe that you're going to have a better outcome mm. if we do this again. Mm. So that was a little bit discouraging. That's a painful um, thing. Yeah. 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 And then, and I think the other thing that was really key for me is that I had asked my first reproductive endocrinologist, will, will doing this cycle make my endometriosis and like fibroids worse? And she had said very clearly, like, no, there's no correlation with this at all. Mm-hmm. When I met with the second reproductive endocrinologist and asked him the same question, because I told him, you know, my symptoms are back, they're really bad. He basically said, yes, of course, you can expect that it's going to exacerbate all of that. So I would recommend that if you do a second IVF cycle, you plan on having surgery right after. Oh my. Wow. And, and what kind of surgery? A hysterectomy surgery? Or? Um, no, he, so uh, excision surgery. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so IVF, why IVF wasn't just IVF. It was, you're going to dive fully back into the deep end of all these things. Oh my yeah, God. Like you want to put your body through that again. Yeah. Like knowingly. Um, so that was the conversation I had with the RE and then the conversation I had with the endometriosis specialist. Um, to be honest, I was one that was, that came to the meeting prepared to ask about a hysterectomy because, um, again, I had done all this research. I had spent like right. months just trying to get the most accurate information. And I knew that a hysterectomy was not a cure for endometriosis. Um, excision surgery is actually the gold standard, which is where they go in and remove it from all the areas of your body where they find it. So, oh, wow. um, so endometriosis is actually, uh, like lesions that are, it's, tissue that's similar to your, the lining of your uterus that's found in other places of your body. So in my case, I had it on, um, my bladder, my bowels, my colon, my pelvic sidewall, my ureters, like basically anywhere it could be, it was, and it was, Oh my um, gosh. Wow. Yes. I did not know that. I didn't know that it could be in all those places. Yeah. Yeah, So I think people think it affects your uterus and it actually doesn't like it's, it's outside. I think when you people say it's outside of the uterus, they picture that it grows on the outside of your uterus, but that's not it. It's actually in, it's, it's, um, appearing in other places in your body. 
I was today old when I learned that. I did not know that. I totally thought that same thing. I thought on the outside of your uterus, it must be attacking the outside of your uterus yeah. wall. Like that's literally what I thought. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. I always try to sneak in like a little bit of endo education because it's just such a misunderstanding. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and I also try to be really clear about my decision to have a hysterectomy because it's not something that actually is recommended for endometriosis. Okay. Um, the gold standard of treatment is to have excision surgery, which is where the doctor actually goes in and cuts out those lesions. So my first surgery was, it took him four hours to do that. And my second wow. surgery was six hours. And it was Gosh. just him going basically like centimeter by centimeter through my entire, like everything from my rib cage down, like looking for wow. these lesions. Um, wow. And it had gone so bad too. I have what's called deep infiltrating endometriosis, which is where your body is trying to fight it and starts to create scar tissue over the lesions. And then that can build up and create like these sticky um, adhesions that, mm. so in my case, like these adhesions had glued my uterus to, or my ovary to my uterus. Oh, wow. And when it gets really bad, it can start gluing like other organs together. So it can get really serious. Wow. That's in, that is so, so incredibly painful. I'm, I would yes. imagine. So after the second surgery, did he get all that out? Yeah. So, um, I did have, I mean, I'd already gone through that surgery once to remove as much as possible. Um, the second surgery, he did find more and he removed that. And my fibroids were back, which helped me feel better about the decision to have a hysterectomy. So basically that came about because I went into the appointment telling the doctor, like, look, if I just came to you and said, I want the best option for getting my quality of life back, mm. what would you recommend? And so that was, he recommended, you know, he said the hysterectomy was an option. He totally left it up to me. Um, which I really appreciated. He said, like, I'm not a paternalistic doctor, so I'm not going to tell you what to do. Right. Um, I'll just give you the information. I'll let you decide what's best for you. So I thought a lot about that. And I think I just got into a point, I had a really great therapist I was working with that helped me kind of in my decision-making process. But I think I just got to a point where I'd been going through infertility for almost four years at that point, And mm -hmm. it just was really feeling like, I don't want to put my body through another round of IVF. And I'm being told that I have less than 1% chance of conceiving naturally. So if I don't want to do IVF and I don't want to keep trying, like chasing that less than 1% chance, then I would rather go the route of what can I do to just get my body in the best health possible so that I can at least have quality of life. So that's kind of where like my decision-making process went. Starting your journey, there was this sense of, I, I want to be well-researched so that I get pregnant. You were thinking three months. Um, and, and then now you're years down the road. And instead of the conversation necessarily being about pregnancy, it's about chronic illness, quality of life, and pain management. That's a huge transition. And I think a lot of people are there, though. Honestly, I think a lot of people are making that transition. And the whole goal of this podcast is to bring them into the insight of what it feels like to be in those positions. Because I think people are lost. It's difficult. And there will be people you know, that we know that listen to this podcast that are, that are starting their journey right now that, will, that, that they're thinking three months. And then they'll end up in the conversation of pain management and quality of life what take take us into that moment of what does that feel like is there is it feel like grief does it feel like anger pain help us conceptualize for ourselves what that feels like because we're in i'm like in awe of you of how much you've 
had to go through and how much you're doing and even the name of the Instagram account you have of the idea of creating and chasing that creation is such a beautiful thing and there's so much pain involved in it. But what's that, what's that, what are the feelings and emotions of that moment of those, that transition from this will take three months to where you're at now? Oh, I mean, I think it's everything, right? Like it's not just like one feeling. I think it's, I think the hardest part about it. Okay. So people often ask me about my IVF cycle. Like that's the thing that people want to focus on when, when I talk about like the four years I was going through infertility and it's like, all right, I see that's what you're most interested in because it's like this invasive thing that people are curious about. But if you're going through infertility for almost four years, you're starting with this, like just unwavering optimism because knowing the statistics, I'm like, yeah, like it's very likely I could be pregnant in three months. And if not that for sure, six months and most couples are pregnant in a year. So I had this like timeline mapped out of this is what it will look like for me. And you go through that hope despair cycle every month of, okay, I just, and I'm a person again, because of my personality where I just bought like the bulk pregnancy tests and would always test like starting five days before my period and like every day up until. So I would test super early every single month and know exactly what day I wanted to do that. So it was like, you know, you get your hopes up, you have the negative pregnancy test, you feel devastated and maybe not as much at the beginning. Cause you're like, okay, you know, it's been yeah. two months. Like, Keep moving. We can do this. Still in right. that window. It's fine. Right. But as those months start to like compound, you're carrying all the grief and the frustration from all the previous cycles too. Right. So it's, it's building like, on each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's harder every month. It gets harder to conjure up the hopeful part because you start seeing yourself in the dis- different statistics categories of like, oh boy, now I'm in that six six months, which is you know w- less usual, and now I'm a year, which puts me firmly in the you are now classified as infertile. If you're trying for a year and you're not pregnant, right? You're classified medically as infertile. So, you know, it's like hitting these different milestones, and then there was the. I think the grief starts to build. It's harder to hold on to the hope because the grief starts to feel heavier and it's harder to feel hope when it's like, why would this month be any different? You know, like this just feels like the same thing I've done, you know, 48 months now or whatever. Right. Um, right, right. And then I think you add in the, I mean, I guess the pain management part wasn't a surprise for me because I've been in pain since I was a teenager. Right. But the part that was surprising was realizing how failed I had been by the healthcare system Mm. and how many times I'd been passed along and dismissed and told that my pain was normal. Um, I had a doctor tell me that it was, that my pain was psychological. Um, And so actually- Wait, you had a doctor, someone tell you that your pain was psychological? Yes, I had a an gynecologist ask me if I was abused growing up because he felt like this was like a psychosomatic pain that was Oh wow. Which I mean is a thing, right? Like psychosomatic. Yeah. Pain I mean it, yeah, it totally pain, could be. But yeah. like maybe just do the basic testing or like rule out basic yeah. physical things before you just jump straight to that. Right. Um so I think it was just thinking through like all these experiences I've had not just in my infertility but then even just 
from my teen years of being dismissed, having my pain dismissed. And then there was this other component of like, why did it take me trying to get pregnant for people to take my pain seriously? Like Mm. doctors didn't care if I was in pain and it was impacting my life. But Mm. suddenly when I get to the fertility system, now they're really, really like eager to figure out what's going on. And that's where I get my diagnosis. So that was frustrating. I felt like my fertility was prioritized over my quality of life. Right. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Wow. It's That's like so a lot powerful. of there's a lot of losses of hope in a way. It's like That's, the loss of yeah. you know, hope in, you know, the months that go by trying to get pregnant. But there's like the loss of hope of like coming to the doctors and losing hope there, going to all these different systems and trying to yeah. find in a way like light mm-hmm. and you're finding more and more closed doors. Just that's that's yeah. that is very overwhelming. It feels even feels overwhelming yeah. just when I think about it now. And and what does it feel like to have this roller coaster, this hope roller coaster, and you're on your four year journey and it's ending and you are going from it child free? What does that feel like? Um, I mean, obviously that was the hardest part. It's the hardest decision I've ever made. Um I was lucky to have a really, really good therapist Mm. that helped me navigate. Like I I saw her for two years um, Mm -hmm. that helped me navigate a lot of that, but the grief was really, really severe. And I think it was, it was hardest probably like the last year of infertility and then the year after my hysterectomy. And I think in some ways, the hysterectomy also though provided a sense of relief of yeah. like, mm-hmm. I can plan for my life now because, you know, when you're in the middle of infertility, you're making decisions around that. So I have moments of like, well, I can't quit my job because I have maternity leave and mm-hmm. I don't want to lose that. And we can't buy a house in this neighborhood because if we have kids, we need to be accessible to childcare and to good schools. And I, you know, you're like always planning ahead to make space for this baby that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And so there was this moment of like, okay, like this is not the outcome that I wanted. And I was in profound grief, but then there was also this other feeling of like, I just ch- closed this like chapter, like a very definitive closing of a chapter. And that means that a new one's starting and I get to figure out what that looks like. That's a, that's a powerful, a powerful moment in time right? Where it's like almost like separates the past from the future a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so you're, how did you start from, well, first thing, can we clarify one thing for uh, what's the best wording that we should use when it comes to the child free community? Cause I want to make sure that we get it right. Um, Mm And, and, and it's, it's, it can be, uh, what do you think? Yeah. And I want to add something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The reason why I asked that specifically is because I want to, this is a part of our community. We serve the infertility community yeah. and this is a part of our um, community. And I think often th- the community, this community can feel forgotten or left out or, you know, other. And I don't like that. So I just want to know how to love this community the best. To me in my mind, even just from like a lingo standpoint, it's like child free feels like it's like I'm child free. And it feels like this freedom yeah. 
and then, but then childless feels like I'm childless and it feels negative. But then child free, you don't want to act like it's like I'm child free. That was easy for right. me. Right. So, so clearly, Katie, we're confused. Yeah. <laughs> help us. I need help. Help. Okay. Well, it's de- it's definitely like not totally clear cut, but I can definitely give you guys some guidance. I am just taking this collectively from like my community and my perception. So I'm sure there are people even within my community that will disagree. But mm-hmm. um typically childless, I think should be the preferred term of someone who wanted kids and couldn't have them. And that is a broad net, right? Like that's going to be uh, someone who maybe experienced like me who experienced infertility and ended that without a, without a baby, but it could also be someone who wanted kids, but they're single and they don't want a single parent. And so they never found a partner to, to have a baby with. And so they're childless because of that. So the, the actual childless umbrella, I would say includes anybody who wanted children, but for whatever reason, couldn't have them. And I think if you're not within the community, that is like your safest word to use. That's all encompassing. And that has like a very clear connotation of like, I'm talking about people who wanted kids and couldn't have them for any reason. Right. Um, Typically the word child-free is reserved for describing somebody who wanted children or I'm sorry, who did not ever want children. Like that was their first choice. And so I try to be careful. Like I never personally describe myself as child-free because I don't want to co-opt their term. Like it's a very, it's a different community, although there's some overlap. Um, That makes sense. I do sometimes describe myself as child-free after infertility. Okay. And Mm. that means something very specific to me. This is kind of how I view that term. I do think that the term childless, I use that a lot, especially when I'm talking about my grief around being childless. Right. To me, being child-free after infertility is like an aspirational thing. And I see it as the best possibility that I have left. And my perspective Mm. on it is like, if you look at someone who is child-free by choice, they, that was their first choice they had the option to have a baby and they didn't want one because they felt like having a life without kids was the best option for them. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of see it as not like a challenge, but like, could I create a life that I love so much that I can get to that place where like, mm-hmm. I'm so happy that I can get to a place where I prefer this. Right. And I'm, and I, I know that I'll always have grief that stays with me, but I think for me, it's kind of aspirational. Right. And so, because it's my best option left, right? Like, what am, I don't want to just be sitting in deep grief all the time and longing for something that is not a possibility for me. Right. Right. That is incredibly helpful. Yeah, that's incredibly helpful. <laughs> Taking notes. <laughs> I mean, mentally. definitely. Like, if I would say, if you're from outside of the community, like, if you guys want to address, like, my community, I I think that like say, using childless or childless not by choice is like your your childless not by choice. Because yeah, there def- there definitely is a difference there in terms of my intent was this and it's not, it was my, despite my intent, I don't have that. You know, there's a, there's a difference there to saying for my original intent is this, you know, and it's helpful. It's helpful for people to be seen and like words do matter and titles matter. And Mm -hmm. you know, hopefully everyone, we we can be gracious with each other, but we do want to get it right for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, I appreciate that. Yes. I oh, agree. can I tell you like one thing that's been bugging me yes. in case you people in the infertility community are listening to yes. it? Yes. Hopefully everyone okay. listen, everyone who's listening to this, pay attention. Yes. Put your phone <laughs> down and well, listen. I, 
It's something that I'm seeing a lot and I'm really getting irked by it. Okay. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of people will, will do posts that are talking about like different outcomes of infertility mm-hmm. and they'll say like, and some people will choose to be childless mm-hmm. um, and using that word choose. Mm-hmm. And that makes me really irritated because I don't see where I ended as a choice. Mm-hmm. Like I tried, if you, like, if you tried for a year and you are like classified as infertile to me, that indicates that like that choice was kind of taken from you. Hmm. Do you have the choice to pursue other options? Yes. And you could go, you could, those are sometimes feel like endless possibilities, right? That you could keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, but they, those options are not available to everyone or accessible to everyone or right for everyone. I totally agree with that. adding the word choice in makes it sound like it was like, Oh, I just like chose to not have a kid. And I'm like, well, no, I don't feel like I really had that choice. Like how many years do I have to try? How many interventions do I have to try How many failed adoptions do I have to have for me to be considered like, okay, you didn't choose this. Mm -hmm. And I don't think someone should have to check all those boxes. Like if you went through infertility and you don't have a baby, I feel like you didn't choose to be childless. Right. Yes, that, oh, that's that is such a great point. And we have, I mean, totally, we will call ourselves out. I've been, we've been guilty of doing that same thing of saying, and for those of you who, you know, choose to walk away from treatment, you're totally right. There is, I mean, some people, we, I would say in a way, I would more classify what we did as choosing to walk away from treatment, but there is a totally another option where it's like, oh, I did not choose. This was chosen mm-hmm. for me. I am childless, not by choice, right? Like this is not my choice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's yeah. a really powerful distinction that we will we will make. We will make from now on. And and I I love to you, what you said about adoption because I think people think that that's the fix all too. And we're mm-hmm. so passionate about like stop stop just just pause and stop and think about if this is what you want because there's so different things and I really truly think if if you know people really did the work and like maybe paused for a second it's not for everybody I'm not I'm just saying for some um and did the work of why they're going into adoption or pursuing foster care that maybe you know less people would because they're realizing and then and because it's not for them and that's okay there's nothing wrong with that and adoption and foster care is not a fix-all it's not like a oh that's how I'm going to get a baby next. And I feel like sometimes that's used so loosely in our, our world because that's what, we, what our choice was. We went to adoption. But, you know, I feel like it's like, oh, just do that. It's like, no, that's not a fix-all. Yeah. And and I think that the same can be applied for um, medical interventions too. Like I, I hear from so many women who are, well, and men who are childless who say like, I didn't feel like this was a good option for me. But then I feel judged like people think, well, you must not have wanted a baby that bad if you didn't do any medical interventions. And that's hard because, um, you don't know what's going on with that person. You don't know their financial situation. You don't know what other underlying conditions are happening with their bodies. Like, you know, in the case of mine, where it made everything so much worse, I would be kind of offended if someone told me, yeah, I think you, if you really want a baby, you should have put your body through that again. Like, I don't know what it's like to live in my body during that time where I was having those symptoms and that much pain. Um, you know, there are like mental health issues. Like if someone is suffering from like severe depression or um, anxiety and going through infertility is just making that so much worse. Like these are all like legitimate reasons to say, you know what, like I, I'm not going to pursue medical intervention. Some people have like um, religious 
values that don't yep. allow them to pursue it. So it just feels, I don't know, sometimes I feel like with the infertility community, it feels like unless you tr literally try every single option that's in front of you, then you don't count, like you don't want it enough. And I really want to push against that and say like, you, you, like your story is valid and it's valid for you to, to help, like to say that you wanted a baby and it wasn't possible, even if you didn't like try every single thing. Um, I mean, I still have an ovary left. Like I could technically do an IVF cycle, like a retrieval cycle and, and use a uh, surrogate, but I'm not going to do that. Right. Like, right. does that mean that I don't really want a baby? Um, so yes. I don't know. That's something I really, really want to like, I join you in the leading. Oh, push into that. I totally really agree. It's like, at what point <laughs> is someone in the war? You know what I mean? Like when they get shot, when they jump on a grenade, like, do you have to have your arm blown off to have like been in the war? It's like. Yeah, I, yeah. I, we put really unfair standards on people that, you know, oh, you didn't try hard enough or and there's so many complex reasons why people make the decisions they make and all of them need to be and should be honored for sure. I totally agree. Um, so you were on your grief journey and you had a really good therapist, you were saying. What made the switch to all of a sudden do this chasing creation and, you know, kind of be an advocate for the childless community? Yeah. So this is kind of like a slow start and it changed, it changed, it's like morphed a lot over the last few years. So it started with, um, I had a month off of work for my hysterectomy mm. and I, I am a person that needs to be doing stuff all the time. So I really wanted to like think of a project that I could do while I was home. So, um, I came up with the name Jason Creation and I decided first to do it as a blog. And my intention at that point was really just that I was feeling so lonely because, and I've heard this from a lot of other um, people who are childless. I only had one person in my entire network that I knew was childless, not by choice. And wow. it wasn't someone that I talked to very much or like could confide in or have these conversations with. And so I literally was feeling like I was the only person in the world who was childless not by choice. Like I just mm -hmm. felt like everyone else I had known who had gone through infertility ended up with a baby. And so um, I really started just wanting to find a couple other people. Like maybe if I put this out there, there's like a few other people who are going through it and I can connect with them and we can commiserate and talk through everything. And that's really how it started. And then, um, and, and I actually didn't publish anything or get my, my website live until about a year later after my hysterectomy. So it was like a very slow, like just kind of thinking about it. Um, and then once I started my website and I got my Instagram account going, I did start connecting with people and then it kind of snowballed and started growing. And then I started thinking of other ways that I wanted to interact with people. So I started this um, Childish Chats Over Cocktails webinar series where I just find people within the community that I wanted to talk to and bring them on every month to have a discussion around a different topic related to childlessness. And then um, last year I started a support group for those who are childless not by choice. And then this year I did my summit. So it's kind of like snowballed from starting like, I, I didn't see myself as an advocate. I didn't see myself as a voice for the community it just kind of started growing like over the last few years yeah. and yeah. to where now it does feel like a community and my intention and what I'm trying to create is entirely different than when I started it two years ago. Right. And was that helpful in your grief journey? 
yeah, I would say it was the most helpful thing. Hmm. Um, I just think there's nothing more powerful than putting your, your voice and your story out into the universe and getting that echo back of like, yes, I get it. Not like, yeah, I can empathize with you or like, I can kind of see where you're coming from, but this just like, yes, I experienced this too. I totally get what you're saying. And, and that is a very powerful and healing thing. So Mm -hmm. I would say that was the number one thing that's been the most helpful. That's awesome. I love it. And take us into the name real quick, because I just love the name, the idea of chasing creation. And I think you tell us, tell it like, what is the vision behind that? And if you could say for the community that you're, you have created and you are creating and the, and the creation you're kind of stewarding up, right? What's the vision for it? Um, so the name is actually like had kind of a funny beginning. I, when I had my hysterectomy, I was watching this show called halt and catch fire. Um, it's, and I, I'm going to just give you a ton of spoilers. So if someone wants to watch that, <laughs> you can, you know, fast forward a bit, Spoiler alert, yeah. <laughs> but, um, it seems like it's totally unrelated show. It's just something I found that I binged while I was recovering from my hysterectomy. And it was, it's about this, like, group of people and it follows them over a 10 year period. So it starts with them in, I think like the eighties. Um, and they are some of the first people within the computer world. Mm -hmm. And so they are working together to try to like come up with the next innovation within the computer world. And they, they, but it follows them for this 10 year span. So you get to know the characters really well and you get like this really in-depth like storylines that aren't just over a year, but over like 10 years, you get to see what these characters go through. And basically what keeps happening is they get really close to being like extremely successful and then everything falls apart and Mm -hmm. they're devastated and their dreams are dashed and they are left with like, oh my gosh, what do I do from here? Mm -hmm. And then you see them rebuild in a different way. And then the same thing happens. And it's not like your typical show where everyone gets a happy ending or they ever get the success they were looking for. Mm -hmm. And you get to see that play out. And there actually is a storyline of one character who uh, does go through infertility and doesn't end up with a kid, but it's a very small plot line. And it, it actually wasn't really kind of what inspired me, but I got so moved by watching the show because even though it was a very different circumstance, it was like watching just these characters invest everything they had and seeing how much they poured into these dreams that they had Mm. and then seeing those all fall apart and having to start over from like literally zero, just ground level and watching them figure out, okay, like what's next? What do I want to create next? And so that's where the name came from was this idea of like, okay, like I couldn't make a baby. That's just like a fact now, right? Like I put four years into this. It didn't happen but that doesn't mean that I can't create things in my life. Cause I think for a while it did leave me feeling like that. Like Mm. I'm incapable of creation because this is the most basic human function that you're supposed to do. Mm. And so it was this idea of, of what can I create still? What do I have the power to create? And that became just kind of, I guess, yeah. Like the founding of what I was trying to do with chasing creation is Mm what's the next thing I want to put energy into because maybe I'll find success at the next thing right. and maybe I won't and I'll start over again. Right. Yeah. But like, right. that's okay. doesn't mean that I'm like incapable of creating something beautiful. Right. 
I just love that so so much. I just love that (laughs) we are creative beings. We are creators. And, um, the, you know, children is one instance of an option for some people to create, but we're creating all the time as kids, as, Mm -hmm. as, as teens, as, you know, as we get older, it's just so part of who we are. Mm -hmm. And it's such a testimony. It's such a, a light to the whole like community and everyone kind of going through this, that create, you know, creating things and bringing out goodness in us and in others, isn't just narrowed down to this one very narrow thing. And, and yeah. just if we can't do that one thing, it's like, well, I'll just throw the rest of my life away. It's like, that's, right. you've really been a, a really good example as someone who can, who can bring so much of themselves and so much goodness into the world. Yeah. What's no, one, thank you. Yes. <laughs> what's one way as us, as an infertility nonprofit to love your community better? Like what's a, what's a way that we can do that? Um, I would say probably then the first way, the best way would be to follow us and see what we're talking about and creating. Mm -hmm. Because when I first started doing this two years ago, there weren't really that many accounts or, I mean, there are people, there are a few people who have been like, you know, Jody Day with Gateway Women. She's been doing this for a decade. She's Mm. been creating resources and everything. And like Stephanie Phillips has been hosting like World Childless Week every, every year. So they are good examples of people who have been creating community for a long time. But then within like the last year or so, I would say there's a lot of new accounts on Instagram and um, new therapists who specialize in this, people who are starting like businesses around providing support for this community. And then also just more people like sharing their stories. So the amount of accounts that you could find on Instagram and follow right now compared to a year ago has like dramatically increased. And so I would say you know, first step, I think for a lot of people is often to want to take action. Mm -hmm. And I think before you take action, like just listen and get to know us, like here, listen to us as we talk. I mean, we're telling, we're telling everyone, like, here's what my experience is like, here's how I feel within the infertility community. Here's what is challenging me right now. Like that content's being created and people are sharing their stories and their voices. And so I'd say like, just get to know us, involve us in what you're doing, like what you guys are doing right now. Right. Like, just listen to what, what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. That's so awesome. That. If everyone could just be a little bit yeah, better at that. Call, call like, to action. Go do that right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like, even like, I love that you said like your natural instinct when you want to support someone is do. It's like, I want to do, I want to like, so true, yeah. what, you know what I mean? Like someone has a bad diagnosis. You want to like do something. Can I give you a meal? Can I, whatever it is. And I love, I love that perspective of like, no, just listen, just listen, just yeah. listen. And that's just like, <laughs> It's, it's hard because it's vulnerable and it kind of just keep, keeps you in this place. But that's so powerful because mm-hmm. I think that's the best way to learn. Because if you just go and want to do and be like throw money at it or or whatever, mm-hmm. you might not, it might not actually change you. It might not actually penetrate. So I love mm-hmm. that. I love Although that. Although if you're willing to just throw money at Katie, I'm sure she would I'm be willing sure she'll to. take it. <laughs> just throw money. <laughs> what's your, what's your hopes and dreams for the childless community in the future? Um, wait, before I answer that, yes. I yeah. do want to say like the second thing I would say oh, is yeah. oh, yes. our voices because I'm sorry, yes. you, you, you say, muted it for say a second. It one more time. Say yeah. that again. Oh, um, the second thing is amplify our voices. Yes. Because what happens a lot is the infertility community is pretty huge compared to the childless community, which has a tiny, tiny voice, not because there aren't a lot of us, but our accounts are small, our, you know, we're, we're not, we don't have as much visibility. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard for our messages to cut through. And so I, you know, I was very excited to see that um, 
Allie and Blair invited me to do a breakout session during the the fertility rally that yes, they're hosting. Yeah. yeah. Because I think anytime you're having like a conference or an event that's focused on infertility, you need to have someone representing this space because you know that a percentage of people there are going to end their journeys childless. Absolutely. And how yeah. are you like making space for them? And I actually asked someone else who was hosting an event about this and they said, no, that's like such a downer. We don't want, we don't want this talked about because this is people who are still trying. And I'm like, I understand what you're saying, but I know from someone being in the position who's still trying that, that we need to be creating a softer landing for people. Mm-hmm. Right. Not everyone who is infertile right now is going to need this community, but the people who do are really going to need it and they need to find an easy way to connect. Absolutely. Exactly. Why would we I not resource people? Yeah. Anytime I talk about anything to do with childless or child not by choice, I get so many DMs of people thanking me. Yeah. Thank you for bringing yeah. that up. Or And they've never DM'd me before. Not to say yeah. that that's wrong, but they're like, oh, you saw me. That's what I feel like they're saying. I'm like, oh, thank you. Like, I remember when I when we advertised for the Childless Collective Summit, I had so many people say, oh my gosh, cool. I didn't even know this existed or mm-hmm. whatever. And so, right, it is a part of your community. It is a part of the infertility community, 100%. And I think that people who are still in the middle of infertility or who want on to have kids, um, that we do, we are kind of seen as like the scary, like outsiders that you want to push to the side. Right. But mm-hmm. I think that they underestimate how many people are maybe in their last steps of, you know, they're kind of reaching the end point where they're like, I might try another IVF cycle. I don't know what I want to do. Or like, I know this is our last cycle. I don't know what to do after that. Like there are those people, right. That, (laughs) that are going to get to that place and really need us. Absolutely. Yeah. Love that. So let me ask you that question. What is your hopes and dreams for the childless community in the years to come? Yeah. So um, I think kind of going along with what I, what I just said, I am hoping that we can get bigger and more visible because if you look at women who reach the end of their childbearing years without children, it's one in six within, within the U S right now. Wow. It's a pretty big number. Now, most of those, I think the statistics are around 80, 85%, um, are childless by circumstance. So those are the people who just didn't have the opportunity, right? They didn't find the right partner. Um, so they didn't necessarily go through infertility, but they wanted kids and couldn't have them for other reasons. Hmm. And then that also would capture like the child-free community, which are the people who chose not to have them. I think, I think that's around like 10%. So I guess that leaves what, like 5% of us who went through infertility and couldn't have kids. So it's a, it's a big community, but, um, we don't have much representation and it doesn't feel my hope is that we can create something that instead of feeling like if you get to this place, there's a couple of Instagram accounts you can follow. Right. I want it to feel like you get to this place and there is a community, like an organized community ready to embrace you. And you have a number of different options for like who you can go to for support that like, feels like a fit for you and that represents you. And so I am, that is my entire focus right now is taking what feels sometimes like just separate, separate Instagram accounts or like separate people doing their things in silos and turning this into a community. And my hope is that that community actually reflects the people who are in it. So a lot of times I think in both the infertility community and the childless community, um, we are disproportionately seeing voices that are white, mm-hmm. middle or upper class, mm-hmm. um, cisgendered, mm-hmm. 
um, heterosexual married couples, mm -hmm. like that is who we're seeing. Yeah. And yeah. that doesn't actually represent people who are, who are childless or who are facing infertility. And so I think one thing that is kind of in, I see as an opportunity is that right now the childless community is pretty small in terms of who publicly has a voice and is like speaking out about it. Right. So a lot of my focus is not only going into trying to create community and opportunities for that, but also being very mindful about who's included, whose voices are being amplified. How can we create like the most diverse and inclusive space within, within this community um, so that people see themselves represented and we're not just hearing like one version of a story. Right. I love that. Mic drop. <laughs> it's so, it's so Perfect. true. And you are, and we can just be a testimony to you are helping create that for sure. Even in the way that you, you, you run your, the accounts that you have and the, and the voice that you put out is a, such an inclusive, welcoming environment. And it, it's wonderful to have talked here and to, and to contribute yeah. in that way. Yeah. And everything that you repost, like that's so helpful too. That's a great way to amplify voices. And I've started following people because of who you reposted. I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. Like, you mm. know, cause I, I really feel like I want, we want to, you know, just be educated in this area and inclusive to everyone. Like we have that same desire, same desire. So thank you. You do this so well. And thank you for being vulnerable with your story and really helping people and giving those, you do, you give those people voices. And I cannot wait to see where Chasing Creations is in five years. How can people oh, find you? you? It's true. I mean that. I mean, I will say, I, I don't give them a voice. They have their voice. Yeah, yeah. It's just yes. amplifying it. And I- That's a good way I, to say it. I mean, I know I mess up in this way, but it is it is intentional. It's something I think about all the time. And I think part of that comes from, um, like I, I, my background in, I have a master's in social work and my background was in community empowerment is mm. what I got my, my degree. And so I, I really, I think it's partly just where my brain goes, but I yeah. also just feel like it's really what's needed right now within this space. Like people should not be getting to a place where they realize they're going to be childless and feel like they're alone because they absolutely aren't. So I really yeah. appreciate you guys for um, being willing to, to like offer space on your platform to share stories like mine and to highlight people like me. Um, you know, I, I think again, that amplifying our voices is so important because we can't have a community without that, right? Like we need the support of the infertility community. And if you look at hashtags that get used around infertility versus childlessness, um, it is, pretty eye-opening like you know infertility has literally millions mm -hmm. i think the hashtag um hashtag childless which is the biggest one that we have has i think thirty thousand. Oh mm -hmm. wow wow so just even in the the amplification that our voices can have it feels really limited right now so it really is you know people like you can who can help us community build by linking us together and amplifying our voices. So I hope that you guys will also consider featuring some of the other, other amazing childless people in our community too. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I love you just like, I just had such an aha moment. Like when you said, everyone has a story, it's about amplifying it. You're not giving them a voice. They already have the voice. You're just amplifying yeah. the voice. Oh my gosh. Put that it's on like, a t-shirt. It's platform, like, right? like it's, sharing, <laughs> yeah. it's sharing the platform that you have. And yeah. so I think that's been like eye-opening for me because when I first started, 
my goal really was just to connect to a couple other people. It was very like more of a selfish, like I, I need, I need someone help. Understands and can validate me. And now it's like, oh, wow, this has somehow grown into where I actually have like a platform and people are showing up and listening to me and how am I using that platform that I've created? And so like when you mentioned, you know, sharing other accounts that you can follow, that is what's needed for, for community, right? Like we need to be, mm -hmm. we need to be raising up all those voices so that it feels like a cohesive um, community that you can go to for support and that you can find people who look like you and who share elements of your story and who you resonate with. And if there's only like five people that are yeah. public voices for <laughs> yeah. this, that's not going to happen. Right. 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 It's like the idea of like a, an integrated approach to something, you know, like we want to be integrated people and not let just one part of our own personalities rule the, all, the, all of us. But we don't want to let one part of our community rule and be the voice for everyone else. An integrated approach would be everyone has their own voice and we bring them together to create a, a harmony of voices and not just mm -hmm. one tone, you know? Yeah. So how can people follow you to, to, to be able to, to join, join the community and learn from you? Yeah. So, um, I mean, definitely I'm most active on Instagram. So you can find me at chasing.creation. And I don't update my website very often, but you can find some of the older stuff that I've written. And um, you can also, if you missed, if you're interested in the Childless Collective Summit and you missed it, you can still actually buy an extended access pass. Those are for sale still. Awesome. And um, they give you access to 26 of the presentations that were done. And so that's, you have access for a whole year. So you can just um, take it at your own pace. I have people still messaging me that are like, I'm about halfway through the content and I'm so glad I was able to just take it slowly and watch yeah. them as I needed them. So that's still available. Um, I hope to do that again next year. Uh, and then in the meantime, I am still hosting my, I have a, um, childless support circle that is a support group i limit those to 10 people at a time and they're just open so you don't have to like enroll for multiple month, months you can just show up as needed and um, i That's love great. getting to know people through that and then um, i also host with bridget may of the fruitless fig tree we host a happy hour every month for the childless community and that's free to attend. Anyone can show up. We start as a big group and then break up into smaller Zoom room groups so that you can get to know people. And that's been a really fun way to connect as well. So those are kind of my main focuses right now. Awesome. That's, that's so awesome. amazing. Yeah. That's Anything else? I mean, hello. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's so great. Well, it. thank you for being here and thank you. And we are, we are honored to amplify your voice. So thank you for oh, being here. Well, I, I am honored to, to be on your podcast. And I, I will say that in my experience, there are not that many people in the infertility space who are excited about amplifying childless voices. And so the fact that you guys are, you know, considerate of this and are thinking about it and including us in your podcast and in your um, posts and all of that, I just really, really appreciate it. And it does make me feel seen and that you guys, you know, care. So thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome.